0: Chapters thirty seven and thirty eight of gretchen by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty seven under the pines with dick like tom and ann eliza jerry and dick had run when they saw how fast the storm was coming but it was of no use for by the time they entered the park the shortest route to the cottage the rain came down in torrents and drenched them to the skin in a few moments jerry's hat was wrenched off as ann eliza's had been by the wind which tossed her long golden hair about her in a most fantastic fashion but dick put his hat upon her head and would have given her his coat had she allowed it no dick she said laughingly as she saw him about to divest himself of it keep your coat i am wet enough without that but what a storm and how dark it grows we shall break our necks stumbling along at this rate Just then a broad glare of lightning illuminated the darkness and showed Dick the four pines close at hand. He knew the place well, for with the Tracy children he had often played there when a boy, and knew that the thick boughs would afford them some protection from the storm. By Jove, we are in luck, he said. Here's the pine room, as we used to call it when you played you were Marie Antoinette and had your head cut off i can remember just how i felt when your white sunbonnet with mrs crawford's false hair pinned in it dropped into the basket and how awful it seemed when you played dead so long that we almost thought you were and when you came to life the way you imitated the cries of a french mob i would have sworn there were a hundred voices instead of one yelling down with the nobility you were a wonderful actress jerry and it is a marvel you have not gone upon the stage while he talked he was groping for the bench under the pines where they sat down dick seating himself upon the parasol which jerry had left there that morning after her interview with tom hullo what's this he said drawing the parasol from under him an umbrella as i live what good fairy do you suppose left it here for us jerry could not tell him that she had left it there and she said nothing while he opened and held it so that every drop of rain which slipped from it fell upon her neck and trickled down her back great caesar that was a roarer dick said as the peal of thunder which had so frightened ann eliza burst over their heads and echoing through the woods went bellowing off in the direction of the river that's a stunner but i rather like it and like being here too i've wanted a chance to speak to you ever since well ever since this morning when i saw you in that bewildering costume which showed your feet and your arms so you know and that thingamabob in your head and the red stockings and here dick became hopelessly confused and not knowing what to say next waited for Jerry to speak but Jerry did not speak because of the sudden alarm which possessed her she could not see dick's face but in his voice she had recognized a tone heard in tom's that morning when she sat with him under the pines as she was sitting now with dick and he had asked her to be his wife something told her that dick was feeling for her hands which she resolutely put behind her out of his way and as he could not find them he wound his arm around her and held her fast while he told her how much he loved her i believe i have loved you he said ever since the day i first saw you at the inquest and you flew so like a little cat at peterkin when he attacked harold i used to be awfully jealous of hal for fear he would find in you more than a sister but that was before he and Maud got so thick together i guess that's a sure thing people say so and it makes me bold to tell you what i have why are you so silent jerry don't you love me a little that is all i ask at first for i know i can make you love me a great deal in time i will be so kind and true to you Jerry. and father and mother and nina will be so glad speak to me Jerry, and say you will try to love me if you do not now as he talked he had drawn the girl closer to him where she sat rigid as a stone wholly unmindful of the little puddles of water and they were puddles now running down her back for dick had tilted the parasol in such a manner that one of the points rested upon the nape of her neck but she did not know it or think of anything except the pain she must inflict upon the young man wooing her so differently from what tom tracy had done no hint had dick given of the honour he was conferring upon her or of his own and his family's superiority to herself all the honour and favour to be conferred were on her side all the love and humility on his and for one brief moment the wild wish flashed upon her oh if i could love him as a wife ought i might be so happy for he is all that is noble and good and true but this was while she was smarting under the few words he had said of harold and Maud. he too believed it a settled thing between the two everybody believed it and why should she waste her love upon one who did not care for her as she did for him why not encourage a love for dick who stood next in her heart to harold thus she questioned herself until she remembered harold's voice as it had spoken to her that morning and the look in his eyes when they rested upon her as he said good lingering a moment as if loath to leave her and then dick's chance if he had ever had one was gone turning to him she said oh dick i am so sorry you have said this to me sorry that you love me in that way for i can't i can't i do love you as a friend a brother next to harold but i cannot be your wife i cannot for a moment there was perfect silence in the darkness and then a lurid flame of lightning showed the two faces that of the man pale as ashes with a look of bitter pain upon it and that of the woman whiter than the man's and bathed in tears which fell almost as fast as the raindrops were falling upon the pines then dick spoke again but his voice sounded strange and unnatural and a great ways off if i wait a long long time say a year or two or three do you think you could learn to love me just a little i will not ask for much only jerry i do hunger so for you that without you life would be a blank no dick not if you waited twenty years i must still answer no i cannot love you as your wife should love you and as some sweet girl will one day love you when you have forgotten me this was what jerry said to him with much more until he knew she was in earnest and felt as if his heart were breaking i shall never forget you jerry he said or cease to hope that you will change your mind unless and here he started so suddenly that the wet parasol down which streams of water were still coursing their way to jerry's back dropped from his hand and rolled off upon the bed of pine needles at his feet just where it had been in the morning when tom was there instead of himself unless there is some one between us "'Some other man whom you love? "'I will not ask you the question, "'but I believe I could bear it better "'if I knew it was because your love "'was already given to another "'and not because of anything in me.' "'For a moment Jerry was silent. "'Then suddenly facing Dick, "'she laid her hand on his and said, "'I can trust you. "'I am sure of that. "'There is someone between us. "'Someone whom I love. "'If I had never seen him, "'and if I had known you just as I do, "'I might not have answered as I have. "'I am very sorry.' Dick did not ask who his rival was, nor did Harold come to his mind, so sure was he that an engagement existed between him and Maud. Probably it was someone whom she had met while away at school, he thought, and every nerve was quivering with pain and disappointment, when at last, as the rain began to cease, he rose at Jerry's suggestion, and offering her his arm, walked silently and sadly with her to the door of the cottage. Here, for a moment, they stood side by side and hand in hand until Jerry said dick your friendship has been very dear to me i do not want to lose it nor shall you he answered and winding his arms around her he kissed her lips saying as he did so that is the seal of our eternal friendship the man you love would not grudge me that one kiss but perhaps you'd better tell him good-bye and god bless you when i see you again i shall try to be the same dick you have always known For a little while, Jerry stood listening to the sound of his footsteps as he went splashing through the wet grass and puddles of water. Then, kissing her hands to him, she whispered, Poor Dick! It would not be difficult to love you if I had never known Harold. Opening the door softly, she found, as she had expected, that both her grandmother and Harold had retired, and, taking the lamp from the table where it had been left for her, she stole quietly up to her room and crept shivering into bed, more wretched than she had ever been before in her life chapter thirty eight at le bateau harold got his own breakfast the next morning and was off for his work just as the sun looked into the windows of the room where Jerry lay in a deep slumber she had been awake a long time the previous night thinking over the incidents of a day which had been the most eventful one of her life but had fallen asleep at last and dreamed that she had found the low room in wiesbaden with the picture of a young girl knitting in the sunshine and the stranger watching her from a distance it was late when she awoke and peterkin's clock was striking eight when she went down to the kitchen where she found mrs crawford sewing and a most dainty breakfast waiting for her on a little round table near an open window shaded with the hop vines there was a fresh egg for her with english buns and strawberries and cream and chocolate served in a pretty cup which she had never seen before while near her plate was lying a bunch of roses and on them a strip of paper on which harold had written the top of the morning to ye jerry i'd like to stay and see you but if i work very hard to-day i hope to finish the job on monday and get my fifteen dollars that's a pile of money to earn in three days isn't it i hope you enjoyed the garden party if i had not been so awfully tired i should have gone for you grandma will tell you that i went to bed and to sleep before that shower came up so i knew nothing of it i wonder how you got home but of course dick came with you or billy or possibly tom i hear you entertained all three of them at the wash tub. pretty good for the first day home good-bye till to-night i only live till then as they say in novels harold this note every line of which was full of affection and thoughtfulness for her was worth more to jerry than the chocolate or the bun or the pretty cup and saucer which harold had bought for her the night before going to the village a mile out of his way on purpose to get them and surprise her this mrs crawford told her as she sat eating her breakfast which she had to force down because of the lump in her throat and the tears which came so fast as she listened you see mrs crawford began mr allen paid harold two or three dollars so he came home through the village and bought the eggs and the buns and the chocolate which he knew you liked and the cup and saucer at grady's he has had it on his mind a long time to get it for you but there were so many other things to pay for don't you think it is pretty? Yes, lovely, Jerry replied, taking up the delicate bit of china, through which the light shone so clearly. It is very pretty, but I wish he had not bought it for me. And Jerry wiped the hot tears from both her eyes as Mrs. Crawford continued, Oh, he wanted to. He is never happier than when doing something which he thinks will please you or me. Harold is the most unselfish boy I ever knew and i never saw him give way or heard him complain that his lot was hard but once and that was this summer when he was building the room and had to dismiss the man because he had no money to pay him that left it all for him to do and he was already so tired and overworked and then tom tracy was always making fun of the change and saying it made the cottage look like a pigsty with a steeple to it and that you would think so too and if it were his he'd tear the old hut down and start anew peterkin too made remarks and wondered where harold got the money and why he didn't do this and that but supposed he couldn't afford it adding that beggars couldn't be choosers when harold heard all that he was tired and nervous and discouraged and his hands were blistered and bruised his head was aching and he just put it on that table where you are sitting and cried like a baby when i tried to comfort him he said it isn't the hard work grandmother i don't mind that in the least neither do i care for what they say or should not if there was not some truth in it things are out of proportion and the new room makes the rest of the cottage look lower than ever and i'd like so much to have everything right for jerry who would not shame the queen's palace i wish for her sake that i had money and could make her home what it ought to be i do not want her to feel homesick or long for something better when she comes back to us jerry was crying out right now but mrs crawford who was a little deaf and did not hear her went on if you were a hundred times his sister he could not love you more than he does or wish to make you happier he would have gone for you last night only he was so tired and i persuaded him to go to bed i knew somebody would come home with you dick wasn't it i thought i heard his voice yes it was dick Jerry answered very low returning again to her breakfast while her grandmother rambled on harold slept so soundly that he never heard the storm or knew there was one till this morning lucky you didn't start home until it was over you'd have been wet to the skin jerry made no answer for she could not tell of that interview under the pines or that she had been wet to the skin and felt chilly even now from the effects of it it seemed that mrs crawford would never tire of talking of harold for she continued he was up this morning about daylight i do believe and had his own breakfast eaten and that table late for you when i came down he wanted to see you before he went and know if you were pleased but i told him you were probably asleep as it was late when you came in and so he wrote something for you and went whistling off as merrily as if he had been in his carriage instead of on foot in his working dress and he shall have his carriage too some day and a pair of the finest horses the country affords and you shall ride beside him in a satin gown and india shawl you'll see Jerry said impetuously as she rose from the table and began to clear away the dishes the spell was upon her strongly now and as her grandmother talked the objects around her gradually faded away the cottage so out of proportion and so humble in all its surroundings was gone and in its place stood a house grand as tracy park and much like it and harold was the master looking a very prince instead of the tired shabbily dressed man he was now and i shall be there too jerry whispered or rather nodded to herself i know i shall and i do not believe one word of the mod affair and never will until he tells me himself or she and then well then i will be glad for them until i come to be really glad myself she was moving rapidly around the kitchen for there was a great deal to be done the saturday's work and all the clothes to be ironed and then she meant to get up some little surprise for harold to show him that she appreciated his thoughtfulness for her about half-past ten a servant from la bateau brought her a note from ann eliza who wrote as follows dear jerry have pity on a poor cripple and come as soon as you can and see me i sprained my ankle last night in that awful storm and tom had to bring me home in his arms think of it and what my feelings must have been i am hardly over it yet the queer feelings i mean for of course my ankle is dreadful and so swollen and pains me so that i cannot step but must stay in my room all day so come as soon as possible you have never seen the inside of our house or my rooms come to lunch please we will have it up here good-bye from your loving friend ann eliza p s i wonder if tom will call to inquire for me tell her i will be there by lunchtime jerry said to the man while to her grandmother she continued the baking and cleaning are all done and i can finish the ironing when i get back it will be cooler then and i do want to see the inside of that show-house which harold says cost a hundred thousand dollars pity somebody besides the peterkins did not live there and so about twelve o'clock jerry walked up to the grand house of grey stone which with its turrets and towers and immense arch over the carriage drive in front of a side door looked like some old feudal castle and flaunted upon its walls the money it had cost even the loud bell which echoed through the hall like a town clock told the wealth and show as did the colored man who answered the summons and bowing low to jerry held out a silver tray for her card Nonsense, Leo, Jerry said laughingly, for she had known the negro all her life, and played with him too, at times, when they both went to the district school. I have no card with me. Miss Ann Eliza has invited me to lunch, and I have come. Tell her I am here. With another profound bow, Leo waved Jerry into the reception room and then started to deliver her message seated upon one of the carved chairs jerry looked about her curiously with a feeling that the half had not been told her everything was so much more gorgeous and magnificent than she had supposed but what impressed and at the same time oppressed her most was the height of the walls from the richly inlaid floor to the gaily decorated ceiling overhead it made her neck ache staring up fourteen feet and a half to the costly centre ornament from which the heavy chandelier depended all the rooms of the old house had been low and when peterkin built the new one he made ample amends i mean to lick the crowd he said and a man was sent to collingwood and grassy spring and briar hill and lastly to tracy park to take the height of the lower rooms those at tracy park were found to be the highest and measured just twelve feet so peterkin's orders were to run em up run em up run em up fourteen feet for i swan i'll get ahead of em so they were run up fourteen feet and by some mistake half a foot higher looking when finished so cold and cheerless and bare that the ambitious man ransacked new york and boston and even sent to london for adornments for his walls books were bought by the square yard pictures by the wholesale mirrors by the dozen with bronzes and brackets and sconces and tapestry and banners and screens and clocks and cabinets and statuary together with the costliest rugs and carpets and the most exquisite inlaid tables to be found in florence or venice for peterkin sent there for them by a gentleman to whom he said "Get the best there is if it costs a fortune i'm bound to lick the crowd this was his favorite expression and when his house was done and he stood his broad white shirt-front studded with diamonds and his coat thrown back to show them surveying his possessions he felt that he had licked the crowd jerry felt so too as she followed the elegant leo up the stairs and through the upper hall handsomer if possible than the lower one to the pretty room where ann eliza lay or rather reclined with her lame foot on a cushion and her well one encased in a white embroidered silk stocking and blue satin slipper she was dressed in a delicate blue satin wrapper trimmed with swan's down, and there were diamonds in her ears and on the little white hands which she stretched toward jerry as she came in oh jerry she said i am so glad to see you for it is awfully lonesome here and if one can be homesick at home i am I missed the girls and the lessons and the rules at Vassar, much as I hated them when I was there. And just before you came in, I wanted to cry. I guess my rooms are too big and have too much in them. Anyway, I have the feeling all the time that I am visiting, and everything is strange and new. I do believe I liked the old room better, with its matting on the floor and the little mirror with the peacock feathers ornamenting the top and that painted plastered image of samuel on the mantel it is very ungrateful in me i know when father has done it mostly to please me do you believe he has hunted me up a maid just for myself doris is her name and what i am ever to do with her or she with me i'm sure i don't know do you jerry did not know either but suggested that she might read to her while she was confined to her room yes she might perhaps do that if she can read ann eliza said she certainly has pretension enough about her to have written several treatises on scientific subjects she was a year with lady augusta hardy in ireland don't you remember the grand wedding father and mother attended in allington two or three years ago when augusta brown was married to an irish lord who had been bought by her money for of course he did not care much for her well doris went out with her as maid and acts as if she too had married a peer she came last night and mamma and i are already as afraid of her as we can be she is so fine and airy she insisted upon dressing me this morning and i felt all the while as if she were thinking how red and ugly my hair is or counting the freckles on my face and contrasting me with my lady augusta as she calls her i wonder if she ever saw my lady's mother Mrs. Rossiter Brown, who told me once that I had a very petty figure, but she presumed it would envelop as I grew older but then people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, and Ann Eliza coloured a little as she made this reference to her own father and mother, whose language was not much more correct than Mrs. Rossiter Brown's for one brought up as she had been ann eliza was a rather sensible girl and although she attached a great deal of importance to money she knew it was not everything and that with her father's millions there was still a wide difference between him and the men to whose society he aspired and knew too that although jerry had not a penny in the world she was greatly her superior and so considered by the world at large she was very fond of jerry who had often helped her with her lessons and stood between her and the ridicule of her companions and was never happier than when in her society so now she made her bring an ottoman close beside her and held her hand while she narrated in detail the events of the previous night dwelling at length upon the fact that tom had carried her in his arms and wondering if he would call to inquire after her jerry thought he would and as if in answer to the thought doris almost immediately appeared with his card she was very fine and very smart, and Jerry herself felt awed by her dignity and manner as she delivered her message. The gentleman sends his compliments and would like to know how you are this morning. Oh, Jerry, it's Tom, he has come! ann Eliza said, with joy in her voice. Surely I can receive him here, for this is my parlor. Jerry thought she might, but the toss of the fine maid's head showed that she thought differently as she left the room with her mistress's message thunderation i didn't want to see her it's enough to have to call was tom's mental comment as he followed doris to her mistress's room what Jerry? you here he exclaimed his face clearing and the whole aspect of matters changing at once as she arose to meet him with jerry there the place seemed different and he did not feel as if he were lowering himself as he sat down and joined in the dainty lunch which was brought up and served from dresden china and cut glass and was as delicate and dainty in its way as anything he had ever found at the brunswick or delmonico's mrs peterkin prided herself upon her cuisine which she superintended herself and as peterkin was something of an epicure and gourmand the table was always supplied with every possible delicacy Tom enjoyed it all and praised the chocolate and the broiled chicken and the jellies and thought Ann Eliza not so very bad looking in her blue satin wrapper with the swan's down trimmings and made himself generally agreeable. Maud was better, he said, and he asked Jerry to go home with him and see her, but Jerry declined. I have a great deal of work to do yet, she said. I must finish ironing those clothes you saw upon the line yesterday, and so I must be going. Tom frowned at the mention of the clothes which Jerry had washed while ann eliza insisted that she should stay until the dog-cart which had been sent to the station for billy came back when lewis would take her home as it was too warm to walk jerry did not mind the heat or the walk but she felt morally sure that tom meant to accompany her and greatly preferred the dog-cart and lewis to another tete-a-tete with him for he did not act at all like a discarded lover but rather as one who still hoped he had a chance so she signified her intention to wait for the dog-cart which soon came with billy in it anxious when he heard of his sister's accident delighted when he found Jerry there and persistent in saying that he and not louis would take her home well if you will you will she said laughingly and bidding ann eliza good-bye and telling tom to give her love to maud and say to her that she did not believe she should be at the park that day she had so much to do she was soon in the dog-cart with billy whose face was radiant as he gathered up the reins and started down the turnpike driving at what jerry thought a very slow pace as she was anxious to get home something of billy's thoughts must have communicated itself to jerry for she became nervous and ill at ease and talked rapidly of things in which she had not the slightest interest what of the lawsuit she asked are you likely to settle it no billy answered hurriedly it will have to come into court in a few few days and i'm awful sorry i wanted father to pay what they demanded but he won't hal is subpoenaed on the other side as he was in our office and is supposed to know something about it B- but i'd hope he won't damage as much as father would never forgive him if he went against us but he must tell the truth no matter who is damaged jerry said y- yes billy replied of c- course he must but-but he needn't volunteer information Jerry began to think that Billy had insisted upon coming with her for the sake of persuading her to caution Harold against saying too much when he was called to testify in the great lawsuit between Peterkin and Company, manufacturers in Shannondale, and Wilson and Company, manufacturers in Truesdale, an adjoining town. But she was undeceived when her companion turned suddenly off upon the river road, which would take them at least two miles out of their way. Why are you coming here? Jerry said in real distress it is ever so much farther and i must get home i have piles of work to do confound the work billy replied very energetically for him and reining his horse up under a wide spreading butternut tree which grew upon the river bank he sprang out and pretended to be busy with some part of the harness while he astonished jerry by bursting out without the least stammer he was so earnest and so excited i've something to say to you jerry and i may as well say it now as any time and know the worst or the best i can't bear the suspense any longer and i got out of the cart so as to stand where i could look you square in the face while i say it and he was looking her square in the face while she grew hot and cold and experienced a sensation quite different from what she had when tom and dick made love to her she had felt no fear of them but she was afraid of this little man who stood up so resolutely with his tongue loosened and asked her to be his wife making his wishes known in a very few words and then waiting for her answer with his eyes fixed upon her face and a firm set look about his mouth which puzzled and troubled her and made her uncertain as to how she was to deal with this third aspirant for her hand within twenty-four hours billy had long had it in his mind that jerry crawford was the only girl in the world for him but he might not have spoken quite so soon had it not been for a conversation held with his father the previous night when they were alone in a private room at the hotel shannondale waiting for the train which billy was to take and which was half an hour late peterkin had exhausted himself in oaths and epithets with regard to the lawsuit and those who had brought it against him and was regaling himself with a cigar and a glass of brandy and water while billy sat by the window watching for the train and wishing himself at grassy spring with jerry peterkin seldom drank to excess but on this occasion he had taken a little too much when under the influence of stimulants he was either aggressive and quarrelsome or jocose and talkative the latter mood was on him now and as he drank his brandy and water he held forth upon the subject of matrimony wondering why his son did not marry and saying it was quite time that he did so and settled down you can have the south wing he said and if the rooms ain't up to snuff now why i'll make em so the fact is bill i've got enough money three millions and better but somehow it doesn't seem to do the thing it doesn't fetch us to the quality and make us fast-cut we need better blood than the peterkins or the Malchers need boostin and you must get a wife to boost us have you ever thought Aunt? billy never had thought of it in that light he said although he had thought of marrying provided the girl would have him have you thunderation a girl would be a fool who wouldn't marry three millions with lubber two thrown in who is she peterkin asked after a little hesitancy billy replied jerry crawford jerry crawford i'll be dumbed jerry crawford and peterkin's big feet came down from the back of the chair on which they were resting upsetting the chair and his brandy at the same time jerry crawford i swall a gal without a cent or name either though i used to have a sneakin notion that i knew who she was but i guess i didn't twould have come out afore now what under heavens put her into your noodle she can't boost and then she's head and shoulders taller than you be how you would look trottin' beside her jerry crawford while i swan and peterkin laughed until his big stomach shook like a bowl of jelly Billy was angry, and replied that he did not know what height had to do with it, or name either, and as for boosting, he wouldn't marry a king's daughter if he did not love her, and for that matter, Jerry could boost, for she stood quite as high in town as any young lady. Both Nina St. Clair and Maud Tracy worshipped her, while Mrs. Atherton paid her a great deal of attention, and so did the Mungers and Crosbys, enough sight more than they did to Annalisa with all her money. Money isn't everything billy stammered and J- jerry would make a v- very different pl- place of le bateau mebbe she would maybe she would but i'd never thought of her for you peterkin said i'd picked out some big bug who perhaps wouldn't wipe her shoes on you jerry is handsome as blazes and no mistake with a kinder up and coming way about her which takes with folks yes it keeps growing on me and i presume arthur tracy would give her away which would be a feather in your cap but lord you'll have to get a pair of the highest heels you ever seen to come within ten foot on her she's only two inches taller than i am billy said and his father continued well if your heart's set on her go it and quick too i'm going to have a smasher of a party in the fall and Gerald will be just the one to draw I can see her now, standin there with the diamonds will give her sparklin on her neck, and she lookin like a queen and the sinecure of all eyes, but for thunder's sake, don't marry the old woman and all leave her to Harold the sneak. I never did like him, and I'll be mad enough to kill him if he goes agin me in the suit, and I believe he will. At this point Peterkin wandered off to the suit entirely, and forgot Jerry, who was to boost the house of Peterkin and make it "fuss cut," but not so Billy, and all the way from Shannondale to Springfield he was thinking of Jerry, and wondering if it were possible that she could ever look upon him with favor like tom and dick he could scarcely remember the time when he did not think jerry the loveliest girl in the world and ever since he had grown to manhood he had meditated making her his wife but had feared what his father might say as he knew how much importance he attached to money now however his father signified his assent and resolving to lose no time billy on his return next day to le bateau seized the opportunity to take jerry home as the occasion for declaring his love which he did in a manly straightforward manner never hinting at any advantage it would be to her to be the wife of a millionaire or offering any inducement in any way except to say that he loved her and would devote his life to making her happy tom tracy jerry had scorned dick st clair she had pitied but this little man she felt like ridiculing after her first emotion of fear had left her oh billy she said laughing merrily you can't be in earnest why i'm head and shoulders taller than you are i do believe i could pick you up and throw you into the river only think how we should look together people would think you my little boy and that i should not like no i can never be your wife nothing cuts a man like ridicule and sensitive as he was with regard to his size billy felt it to his heart's core and as he stood nervously playing with the reins and looking at Jerry, sitting there so tall and erect in all the brightness of her wonderful beauty, it flashed upon him how impossible it was for that glorious creature ever to be his wife, and what a fool he had made of himself. For give me, Jerry, he said, his chin beginning to quiver, and the great tears rolling down his face. I know you c-can't, and I o- oughtn't to have a-asked it, but-but I d-did love you so much. "'that I f-forgot how impossible it was for-for one like you to l-love one li- like me. "'I am so small and insig-insignificant and s- stutter so. "'I wish I was dead,' and laying his head upon the horse's neck, he sobbed aloud. "'In an instant, Jerry was out of the dog-cart and at his side, "'talking to and trying to soothe him as she would a child. "'Oh, Billy, Billy,' she said i am so sorry for you and sorry i said those cruel words about your size it was only in fun your size has nothing to do with my refusal i know you have a big kind heart and next to harold and dick and mr arthur i like you better than any man i ever knew but i can't be your wife don't cry billy it hurts me so to see you and know that i have done it please stop and take me home as quick as possible with a great gulp and a long sigh like a grieved child billy dried his tears of which he was much ashamed and helping jerry into the cart drove her rapidly to the door of the cottage i should not like tom nor dick nor harold to know this he said to her as he stood a moment with her at the gate billy she exclaimed do you know me so little as to think i would tell them or anybody I have more honor than that, and she gave him her hand, which he held tightly as he looked into the sweet young face, which could never be his. Every muscle of his own quivering and telling of the pain he was enduring. Goodbye. I shall be more like a a man and less a baby when I see you again. And springing into his cart, he drove rapidly away. Jerry found her grandmother seated at a table and trying to iron. Grandma, she said, this is too bad i did not mean to stay so long put down that flat iron this minute i am coming there as soon as i lay off my hat running up the stairs to her room jerry put away her hat and then throwing herself upon the bed cried for a moment as hard as she could cry the look on billy's face haunted her and she pitied him now more than she had pitied dick st Clair. dick will get over it and marry somebody else but billy never she said then rising up she bathed her eyes and pushed back her tangled hair stood for a moment before the mirror contemplating the reflection of herself in it jerry crawford she said you must be a mean heartless good-for-nothing girl for it certainly is not your dutch face nor yellow hair nor great staring eyes which make men think that you will marry them so it must be your flirting coquettish manners i hate a flirt i hate you jerry crawford once when a little girl jerry had said to harold why do all the boys want to kiss me so much and now she might have asked why do these same boys wish to marry me it was a curious fact that she should have had three offers within twenty-four hours and she didn't like it and her face wore a troubled look all that hot afternoon as she stood at the ironing table perspiring at every pore and occasionally smiling to herself as she thought grassy spring Le bateau tracy park i might take my choice if i would but i prefer the cottage and then at the thought of tracy park her thoughts went off across the sea to germany and the low room with the picture on the wall and her resolve to find it some day far in the future it may be but find it i will and find too who i am she said to herself little dreaming that the finding was close at hand and that she had that day lighted the train which was so soon to bear her on to the end End of chapters 37 and 38